First Thessalonians about um, praising God and, and, and being thankful to God in all things and in all circumstances. Um, but what about whenever, we, whenever he said praise God for every good thing, what if that good thing doesn't feel good? What if that good thing doesn't sound good? What if that good thing is not something that we really enjoy? Because I'm going to tell you, there's some good things that God does for us that we don't necessarily recognize and we don't necessarily like. Right? How many of you have ever had to take medicine that tasted terrible? Right? It was a good thing, but it did not taste good. How many of you ever got a whipping from your parents? Right? Now, you don't want to admit it, but chances are it was a good thing that you did not like in the moment, but looking back on it now, you're saying, I sure am glad my parents disciplined me so that I'm not a complete moron today, right? Like, like we're thankful for some of those things in our life. So sometimes there can be a good thing, but it may not always feel good. And there are some circumstances that we walk in and we live in that aren't always fun. So how do we stay grateful and be thankful in the bad? as well as the good. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we used this last week. Um, I used it the week before, verses 16 through 18. Uh, it says this, always be joyful, never stop praying. And the big one for us today, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who, to, uh, who belong in Christ Jesus. Notice it says all circumstances. It doesn't say in every good circumstance be faithful. It doesn't say when your bank account is up, be thankful. It doesn't say when your kids are healthy, be thankful. It says in all circumstances, be thankful. And so we're going to get into that. The, the word there, all circumstances in the Greek, um, means everything. Duh, right? That makes sense, everything. But it, it, the literal meaning means every part of a whole. In other words, I'm not just thankful for the big picture. I got to be thankful even for the little pictures that lead up to the big picture, right? When you see a movie, you, you see the whole movie, but there's a lot of little scenes that were filmed to create the whole movie. And in life, a lot of times, we might look back and see the big picture and say, oh, I'm so thankful for that. Even though it was a hard time, I'm thankful for that hard time. But what about when you're in the middle of the movie and you're walking in the scene that's the bad scene? This scripture says we're thankful even for the scenes, not just the movie, right? And then the word thankful there is really cool. It, it means to give thanks. It also means to sing. And, and it's a, it's a two-part word, which means good and grace. And so what it means here, um, some of the people that I looked up in, in the definitions and the scholars that I read on this one, it, they say this. It means to acknowledge that God's grace works well for our eternal gain and his glory. So what does it mean for me to be thankful? It means that I have to acknowledge that God's grace works well for my eternal gain and his glory. In other words, I can't just be focused on what God's doing right now. I've got to consider the bigger picture that God's doing something in my eternity. And that's hard for us to have a, a, an eternal mindset whenever we're going through a rough time. It's hard to have an eternal mindset when it's your family member that's in the hospital with, with cancer and they're dying. It's hard to have an eternal mindset whenever you're the one getting fired from your job and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills next week, right? It's hard to have that eternal mindset whenever you're, whenever you're trying to be thankful. It's very difficult and this is something that we have to work on doing. 
The other thing it says there that I think is really cool is it says that this is God's will. It says being thankful is God's will. In other words, it's not just the pastor telling you something good to do. It's not just a positive thought that you can write down in your journal of positive thoughts, right? It's not something you just put on your coffee mug. This is what God expects from those that follow him. He does not expect us to whine and complain. He expects us to be thankful in all circumstances, right, right. And so um, one of the things uh, Pastor Nathan said last week that I really liked was he said that we need to learn to live um, having open hands, not closed fists. Not thinking about what I deserve, right? That's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to be thankful in all circumstances. And so today we want to talk about how to be thankful in all circumstances because the fact is, it's not easy. It's not easy. We talked about this just, just now. It's not easy whenever your, your finances are down. It's not easy whenever your kids aren't serving God. It's not easy whenever you and your spouse are at odds. It's not easy whenever your health is bad. So, so how, do we, how do we muster up thankfulness and gratitude whenever we are struggling through a storm? Well, I'm going to give you three keys today to being thankful. The first key is this. We need to learn how to change our perspective. Learn how to change our perspective. A couple of verses that we're going to hit. Philippians 4, 8. I know if you've been going to church here for a while, you're tired of hearing me use this verse, but it's just so good. Um, it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is uh, honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We need to fix our thoughts on what is pure and lovely and worthy of praise. In other words, that's, that's about changing your perspective. I can't always think about the negative. If I'm always looking at the negative in, in someone's life, if I'm always looking at the negative in my situation, if I'm always looking at the negative in, in, in my finances or in my family, then, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to be focused and I'm going to have the wrong perspective. Every piece of my perspective is going to come from a place of defense, right? I'm always trying to defend something, defend myself or defend my stuff. But, but whenever we are fixed on having the right perspective, when we're fixed on things that are good and, and honorable and, and, and holy and praiseworthy, those are the things we fix our mind on and it changes our perspective. It changes how we think about what we're going through. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'll talk about Colt in just a second, but one of the things that happened to Colt this week, my son, my, my youngest son, is he had a pick line. If you don't know what a pick line is, it's, a, it's a, kind of like an IV, but instead of just, just having the needle right here, it's a tube that runs all the way up your arm and down just above your heart so you can get your medicine faster. And so Colt had a pick line in, and, and the, the lady came on Friday to pull the pick line out. And I didn't know if it was going to hurt or not. I've never had a pick line. I have had a chest tube pulled out. I've had a, a, a catheter pulled out. I've had a nose. I don't even know what those are. The tube that goes up your nose and goes down to your stomach. I don't know why I had that, but I had that. And I had all of those things pulled out on the same day when I was in the hospital one time. Talk about a rough day. And guess what? You feel every one of those tubes coming out of your body, right? And so I remember sitting there and I was just grabbing the bed, you know, and I'm shaking the bed. It hurts so bad. And they're yanking stuff out of me left and right. And, um, but I remember thinking at the time, it can only last so long, right? Like these tubes can only be so long in my body. And at some point, the end is coming. And so if I could just make it through. And so I was talking to Colt, trying to prep him. And I said, I said, here's the thing, buddy. You need to think about this. 
if it hurts, and I don't know if it will, but if it hurts, it only is going to last about 10, 15 seconds at the most. And I said, just focus on that. So where the lady comes in and she's getting ready to pull his pick line, and I said, I said, here, why don't you look at me? Don't look at the pick line. And he looks over at me, and I held up a Sudoku book. So in all of this, he's been playing Sudoku. So that's what him and his mama do. We're nerds and boring. So I hold up the Sudoku book. I said, look at the Sudoku book. Try to do it with your eyes. I don't know. I was just trying to distract him. And he's looking at it, and he makes a joke about the Sudoku book, and I make a joke about the Sudoku book, and then the nurse makes a joke about the Sudoku book. And when she makes a joke about the Sudoku book, I thought, why is she joking around? Is she supposed to be pulling this tube out of my kid's arm? And I look down, and she's got the whole tube rolled up. She was already done. She had been done for like two minutes, and we were over here talking, and he didn't even know what happened. What happens is I was trying to get him to focus not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And so in the spiritual, sometimes what we need to look at is we need to look at what is, stop looking at what is seen. Stop looking at all the things that are bogging us down and hurting our feelings and all the things that are trouble and try to see what is unseen, right? Try to think about what is unseen. And so um, the last one is this, Isaiah 26, 3. The Bible says, you will keep talking to God. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is a perspective thing. What Isaiah is saying here is that God is going to keep us in perfect peace. When and why? Whenever our thoughts, when our perspective is on God. When I can learn to have an eternal, godly perspective, it changes the way I deal with issues in the now. Right? It changes the way I deal with this stuff. And so it's important that we change our perspective. So to give you a little heads up, here's a story. Here's what happened with us this past week. So um, I went out of town. I was in Guatemala for a few days trying to get ready for our mission trip. And as soon as I got back from Guatemala, Perry uh, let me know that she had taken Colt to the doctor and he had pneumonia. And I was like, well, that's super random, but okay. And so, um, so Colt had pneumonia and, and he got better. And, and, um, and Monday he's, he goes to school and he's playing basketball and he's having a good time. And then Tuesday morning he wakes up and he's got a severe headache. And he doesn't normally get headaches and he's got a high fever, just over 100. So it's not super high, but it's high enough. We've got to keep him home from school. And so he stays home and me being the great dad that I am, I was just like, he'll sleep it off. Like, he'll be fine. Here's some Tylenol. You're good. And so I go to work and Perry's like, hey, will you please get him a doctor's appointment today? And I said, absolutely. I'll get him a doctor's appointment. Well, I totally forgot to get him a doctor's appointment. And so by about, you know, lunchtime, I call the doctor and I'm like, hey, I think my kid needs to come in and see you. He's, you know, he had a fever. He got better. Now he's got a fever again. And, um, and so the doctor's like, okay, come in at two o'clock. And I was like, no problem. So we've waited until two o'clock. And so I call Colt and I said, hey, um, I'm not even going to come get you. I'm going to let your brother pick you up and bring you to me here at the church. And then we'll go to the doctor together. And so I said, but first I need you to go get your medicine off of my, um, my dresser in my room. And Colt says, I don't think I can get out of bed. And I was like, that's not normal. Because Colt's the one that we, he gets in trouble when he's sick because he plays basketball outside when he's supposed to be taking a nap, right? And so I was like, that's not normal. And he, I said, have you gotten up at all today? And he's like, no, I've slept in the bed all day. And so then I knew something might be wrong. And so I said, okay, well, it's too late now for me to come get you. Gabriel's going to get you. He brings him up here. We go to the doctor. The doctor runs all the tests. Everything comes back negative. And I'm like, oh, good. And so the doctor says, we're going to run some blood tests. They do some blood work. Colt and I come to the office because still I'm being a great dad and I don't even take him home yet. I come to the office, of course, to get some stuff done. So I come up to the office. He's in the car. I grab my stuff. And as I'm grabbing my stuff, the doctor calls and he says, hey, the blood work came back 
and one of three tests came back, and the only test that came back is showing that his white blood, count, blood cell count is up, and he's got something called left shift. And I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, it just means he's got something bacterial going on in his system, but we don't know what it is until the tests come back. And I said, okay. Um, so now I'm getting a little bit more nervous, right? But not too bad, not too bad. And so I finally get Colt home, and, and he's been asleep in my car this whole time. And I get Colt home, and, and he walks in the house, and Perry says, Colt, how you feeling? And he says, oh, I, I think I got a fever, and his fever was up to 103. And he says, and my, my head hurts and my neck hurts. And I said, again, dad of the year. I was like, hey, his neck is just, he's got a crick in his neck because he's been sleeping in the car like this. Anybody want me to adopt your kids now? Um, and so... So Perry goes, okay, and sends him to his bed. But Perry is um, what we like to call a Christian, right? Um, unlike Dad, apparently. And so Perry's in tune with the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit immediately quickens her and says, something is wrong, call Melissa. So Melissa's a doctor, and so Perry calls Melissa and says, hey, something's wrong here. My son has high fever, headache, and neck pain, super random neck pain. And Melissa says, get him to the ER now. That sounds like meningitis. So Perry says, Gabriel, we got to get him to the ER now. And I was like, can I finish my dinner? She's like, no, we got to go. And so I don't finish my dinner and we leave and we immediately get to the ER, which was a zoo, by the way. And so we get to the ER and they, they run a spinal tap on him and turns out my kid had meningitis. Crazy, right? It's crazy. Why would you? I mean, I don't even know how he got it. We don't, nobody knows how he got it. But it's wild. So while we're in the hospital, we're in the ER at 11 o'clock at night. They say we're going to do a spinal tap. And they do a spinal tap to check and see if he's got viral, which is not as bad. They send you home. Or bacterial, which is real bad. And they keep you meningitis. And when they do the spinal tap, they can't figure out which one he has. Because guess what? Dad did do one thing right that day. I gave him some antibiotics that the doctor had given me. Turns out it ruined the spinal tap test. So, again, dad of the year. We end up having to stay in the hospital. We wanted to go home. He wanted to go home, but we're in the hospital. They're running lines and giving him, running through tests and MRIs and blood work and all the things. They're doing all the things to him, and he ends up staying in the hospital for six days. Now, I could have very easily been very upset, and I could have just been like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this? This isn't fair. We don't need this right now. At the same time, one of our church members had just passed away on Monday, had passed away on Monday. And so here I am on Tuesday back at the hospital um, after I'd been at the hospital with the, with the church member on Monday who had passed away. And, and, and I'm having to plan a funeral for him and helping the family with all that. I mean, it just wasn't a good time for Colt to get sick. And the whole time I could have said, why are you doing this? I'm so upset. Perry could have said the same thing. But guys, we, were, we had this unbelievable peace. And even when the doctors would come back and they would say, we don't know what's happening, we got to do this, and we don't know what's happening, we got to do this, we just had this unbelievable peace. And there were some nights when, when we were up all night and his temperature would spike and then it would bottom out and it would spike and it would bottom out and he would throw up all night. And, and it was brutal. But we had this peace. And I think the peace we had was this perspective because the Bible says, uh, Isaiah said, what did he say? He said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust you. And someone asked me, they said, we're praying for Colt, we're praying for his healing. But how are you doing? How is Perry doing? And I said, listen, I mean, it's great that you're praying for us. I don't even know if you need to pray for us. I said, we have peace. 
We trust God completely, and we trust the medical team that he's put around us. Like, like we have peace, and, and we trust God. Our perspective was not a perspective of fear. Our perspective was a perspective of trust. And when you're in the middle of a storm, you can have that perspective. It's amazing the different things God did for us, and I won't get into all of them, but I thought it was so cool. Even, even his first night nurse, and, and if you don't, I learned this being in the hospital with Colt, but apparently, and if you guys are nurses or doctors out there, here's what, here's what we were told. We were told the night crew is really kind of the babysitting crew. The night crew doesn't do anything um, because they're always waiting on the day crew to do all the work, and night crew just kind of gets, gets you through the night. Is that true, Kim? Yeah, it is true. You're lying, Kim. You are lying. And so this lady, this lady was telling me, this nurse was telling me, she said, she said, yeah, we got to wait on the day crew to give orders because if the day doctor doesn't give orders, the night doctor, he ain't doing nothing. And so, um, but this lady, we had this nurse and she had just been through meningitis a couple years before to the point she started losing her vision and losing feeling in her hands and her feet and she was vomiting uncontrollably. And um, I've said vomit more in this message than I think any other message I should stop. And that was the nurse that we got. So whenever the night crew didn't want to do anything new for Colt, she was the one fighting for us behind the scenes. Isn't that amazing, the different things God does in a bad situation? And you don't see that kind of stuff if you don't have the right perspective. So we've got to have the right perspective. A good biblical example, and I know I've got to hurry, but the good biblical example is Job. Um, if you read the story of Job, it's, it's so hard to read. It's very difficult because Job starts off and everything's good. Job has a great life. He's righteous. He's serving God. And at some point, God takes his hand off of Job, much like a dad taking his hand off of the bicycle when he's teaching you how to ride without training wheels. What happens the first time? You fall. Yep. I taught my kids how to ride on grass. My dad taught me how to ride on asphalt in the middle of Guatemala City. And that's where I rode my first bicycle. So when I fell, I got busted up real good. And so the Bible says that God took his hand off of Job. The enemy attacks Job and everything goes crazy in Job's life. Kids are dying. Crops are, are being burned. Uh, all, of his, all of his animals are being killed and taken away. And then Job's own body begins to, uh, begins to torture him as he begins to have boils and sores all over his body. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? His friends keep coming at him saying, you're, you're in sin. Something's wrong with you. And Job knew nothing was wrong. He knew he hadn't sinned. And so here's what Job says in, in Job 13, 15. His friends are talking to him. And here's what he says to his friends. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. A couple of things I want to point out on there. His perspective was, even if God kills me, I'm still going to trust him. Like all the bad that's happening is not going to shake my trust in my creator. Folks, I want to tell you something. No matter what goes on in your life, you still need to trust God. You need to understand he's got a bigger perspective than you do. He sees, the Bible says, from the end, I mean, from the beginning to the end, he sees the whole thing. And so we need to understand. And so Job says, even if he kills me, I'll trust in him. And here's another one I want to just point out to you. It's not really part of the message, but I think it's good. He says, yeah, I will argue my ways to his face. Job says, if I'm going to argue about something, if I'm going to complain about something, if I'm going to take something to somebody, it ain't going to be to you, my friends. It's going to be to him and to him only and straight to his face. In other words, Job 
didn't get in trouble for arguing with God because he wasn't complaining to people. And what we do a lot of times is we complain to people instead of going straight to God. And Job said, I'm not going to complain to people. I'm not going to be negative about my creator. I may be going through a bad time, but I'm not going to curse him. I'm not going to complain to everybody. I'm not going to walk around with my head down, acting like I'm uh, uh, you know, being beat up. Instead, I'm going to go straight to God. I'm going to talk to him face to face. And he'll give me an answer. The second thing we've got to do, so the first one is we've got to change our perspective. The second thing we've got to do is learn how to praise in the storm. I love this song. We just sang a song talking about praising in the storm. It was perfect. Um, and, and so uh, last week we talked about uh, the, the leper. Pastor Nathan told you the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed, but only one leper came back and said thank you, right? Only one came back and said thank you. And, and so sometimes I think it's, it's easier for us to be thankful in the healing, but what about whenever we're in the pain? What about whenever we're not the one getting healed? What about when everybody else is getting healed except for us? What about whenever it's our family member that's not getting healed? Now what am I going to do? Even in the pain, I have to learn how to praise. True worship depends on the goodness of God, not the goodness of my circumstance. That's a good one to write down. True worship depends on the goodness of God, not the goodness of my circumstance. My circumstance cannot dictate what I do every Sunday morning when I walk down here and sit on the front row. My circumstance cannot dictate whether or not I lift my hands, whether or not I sing out to God, whether or not I bow my knee to the Father. My my circumstance doesn't dictate that. His goodness dictates that. And God is good all the time. And so no matter what I'm going through, I still worship. No matter what I'm going through, I still praise. And it's not hard for you to find in my family, whenever we're going through a bad time, all of a sudden the worship music comes on even more. It's it's there in those tough times that we begin to turn up our worship even more because that's important for us to make sure that we're keeping the right perspective. And how do I keep the right perspective? I praise in the middle of my pain. Here's the thing, uh, Psalm 34.1. Now Psalm 34.1, in some versions... Uh, has an explanation at at the beginning of verse 1. So if you're reading in your Bible a different version than I'm reading, you're going to see an explanation. This psalm was written when David was living in the house of the enemy. David's living in the Philistines' camp, and the Philistines want to kill David, and so David pretends to be crazy. The Bible says he begins to foam at the mouth and spit on himself and like bang his head against the walls, so they finally let him go without killing him. But David's in a bad place. He's in a bad situation. I want you to look at the first thing he says in a bad situation. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. When he says, I will, it's a planned response to any situation he faces. Now, in life, when you get kicked, you have one of two choices. You can react or you can respond. Reaction is based on emotion and instinct. I shared this story before, but one time it'll be quick. One time I was sitting on the floor and G2 was a little guy and he was sitting behind me on the couch. G2's my oldest son. He was sitting behind me on the couch and I don't know if he hit me with a weapon or if he kicked me or he did something, but I'm bald. And so I feel everything that hits my head and he hit me on the back of the head. And when he did, it hurt so bad. My instant reaction was to reach back and grab whatever it was and pull it over. And it was him. I grabbed him and ripped him right over my body and I went, ah! And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's my son. Like, I, I almost did something bad. Like, it hurt that bad. It was a 
reaction, right? So there's a reaction and there's a response. Reaction is based on my emotions in the moment. Response is calculated and it's planned before I ever make it to the bad situation. A response is productive. I, I want to show you something. David, David says, I will praise, I will praise at all times. In other words, if things are going good, I will praise. If things are going bad, I will praise. He establishes his response before he ever makes it there. I told you I went to Guatemala for a few days a couple of weeks ago. Before I left, I went ahead and prepped uh, the leadership team here at the church. If I die, here's what you do with the church. Here's what you do with the finances. Here's who needs to be the next pastor. Like, I'm already prepping those guys. I told my family, if I die while I'm gone, here's what I need you to do. Here's who's going to get all the stuff. And, of course, G2 wanted him to get all the stuff. And I said, absolutely not. Your mother gets everything, and she'll give you what you need, right? And, um, and so I, what was I doing? I was planning for what could be a bad situation so that when the bad situation shows up, we're already ready. What we need to do today is go ahead and plan on the fact that life is going to give you some lemons. And when life gives you lemons, you're going to praise God. No matter what happens, you're going to praise God. That's going to be your response to a bad situation. And then the third thing and the final thing is this. We need to learn how to find purpose in adversity. Find purpose in adversity. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Notice that it says in all things. So where is God working? God works in all things, right? He works in our good and he works in our bad. He works in every situation. Um, This all things ties back to what we read earlier about be thankful in all things. It means every individual part, not just the whole. So God isn't just, he's not just up there and he's got some grand scheme and, and, and you're going to go through a lot of bad stuff until you get there. No, he's in even the bad stuff. He is in every part of it and he's working on things. Now, who is he doing this for? Because a lot of people quote this verse that probably shouldn't be quoting this verse. The Bible says he's doing it for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you're not serving Jesus... The only plan God's working out for you is a plan for you to repent. And the last time I checked in the book of Revelation, those plans are pretty tough. Like we need to love him. We need to put ourselves in a position where we are in love with Jesus Christ, where we are called according to his purpose. Because when we are, even the bad stuff in life is leading us somewhere. He has a purpose for every situation we're going through. James 1, uh, 2 through 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So James is helping us with our perspective here. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James says, when you go through hard times, you need to understand that God's doing something in you in those hard times. He is strengthening you. He is building your faith. He is building your endurance. He is helping you so that you can be complete and mature moving forward. I don't know about you guys, but like my goal for me and my goal for you, my goal for you as a church family is not that you show up on Sunday morning. 
I think it's great that you're here. But my goal for you is not, not just that you um, say a prayer at the end of the message. I think it's great if you do. But my goal for you is that you would be complete and mature followers of Jesus Christ. Just like I want to be. And so how do we do that? We do that by going through some hard times. That's, that's what helps us. Have you ever sharpened a knife? Sharpening a knife. You don't take a soft cloth and rub it on the knife. Right? What do you do? You take another piece of metal and you grind the blade. The knife probably, if it had life to it, would be screaming at you, what are you doing to me? And you're trying to help the knife by fulfilling its purpose to be sharp. And so sometimes some of the situations we go through, even if God doesn't put you through that situation, let's say it is an attack from the enemy. Let's say it's your own fault. It's something dumb I did and put myself in the situation. The Bible says that God is still working even in my dumbness. God is still working for my good. God is saying, yes, you screwed up. Yes, you're paying a consequence for that. But even in your stupidity, I am going to work on you to make you sharp and complete and mature and help you move forward. That God's going to help us if we have the right perspective and we're praising and we're looking for purpose. A great biblical example of this one is going to be Joseph. Joseph lived thousands of years ago. Joseph was the favorite son of 12 sons. His father loved him more than he loved all of his brothers. Kind of like my life. I only say that because my brother's here, and it's true. Um, and so, so Joseph was the favorite son, and so the Bible says that all of his brothers conspired against him. They sold him into slavery. Some of them wanted to murder him, but one brother said, no, let's, let's not murder him. Let's just sell him into slavery. At least we make money that way, right? And so, so they sold him into slavery, and whenever they sold him into slavery, the Bible says that he, he went into the house of the, of the slave master, was falsely accused of, of raping someone, and, and then got thrown into prison. And when he was in prison, he helped out a couple of the prisoners, or, or at least one of them. Um, he helped out this prisoner and said, please remember me one day. And the Bible says that the prisoner forgot about him even when he got out of prison. And so finally, Joseph makes it out of prison. And when he makes it out of prison, the Bible says that he ends up um, helping the king. He helps Pharaoh. Joseph becomes second in the land. He becomes second in the land. And Joseph is the one that ends up coming up with a great plan. God gave him this plan on, on how to get Egypt through a famine. And not only did many people in Egypt survive because of Joseph's plan, but the Bible says that his own brothers show up in Egypt looking for food. Now, Joseph has an opportunity here. He's got an opportunity for revenge because his brothers think he's dead. They think surely the boy has died by now, and his brothers don't recognize him. And so Joseph has an opportunity for revenge because here his brothers are begging for food. But instead of revenge, Joseph has a different perspective on the situation. And here's what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, Joseph saw the purpose in the pain. He saw the purpose in what he was going through. And he said, hey, there's a purpose behind all this. There's a purpose behind the slavery. There's a purpose behind the accusations. There's a purpose behind being forgotten in prison. There's a purpose. The purpose was to put me in a position to not only save the Egyptians' lives, but to save your life. And I want to tell you this morning, you may be going through a problem and an issue, but I promise you there's a purpose. 
Every time I preach a funeral, and I hate having to preach funerals because it means someone has passed away, and I know that's a hard thing for a family, but every time I preach a funeral, I always try to give a gospel presentation. Why? Because I want... I want the family to know, um, and I know the person doesn't know because he's gone, but, but I want the family to know that their life and their death had purpose. And so it's important for us to have purpose in every bad situation. We're going to end today with uh, the story of Paul and Silas. We're going to put it all together because Paul and Silas have all three of these things going on for them. So Paul is a, is a missionary. Silas is his sidekick, right? And so these guys are, are running the world, telling people about Jesus, planting churches, and, um, and trying to get people saved. The problem is they show up in this one town, and when they do, and this is all in Acts chapter 16, when they show up in this town, there's this girl, and she's a slave girl, and she's demon-possessed. And so, um, and so what she did was is that demon would, would, would help her um, be able to con people and tell them about the future. And so her slave owner made money off of her. He would, he would sell her out and, um, and use her to make money because of what this demon would do through her. Well, she begins to cause a ruckus and begins to distract people from Paul and Silas. And the Bible says Paul was very exasperated. He was mad. He was upset. And Paul cast the demon out of her. And when he did, the slave owner realized that she could no longer tell the future and no longer make him money. And so now he was mad at Paul. So he starts a riot and gets Paul and Silas in trouble. So we'll pick it up at verse 22. It says, A mob formed, uh, quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. I want you to listen to this story, or read along with me, with the mindset of, these guys are going through a bad time. I want you to read this in the mindset of, they're serving God in all circumstances. I want you to think about this in the mindset of what you're going through at your home, in your family, in your community, in your situation. So it says that they were uh, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off, and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword uh, to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced. Because they all believed in God. A couple of things I want you to notice. Number one, they got their perspective right. They were beaten. They were stripped naked. They were chained up in the inner dungeon. What's the first thing the Bible says they did? They prayed. They prayed. When I take time to pray, even in my bad situation, it helps me get my perspective where it needs to be. A lot of times in my prayer... What happens is it's not just me talking to God, 
But a lot of times in my prayer, when I'm praying about the bad situation, oftentimes I can, I can sense the Holy Spirit changing my mind about the situation, showing me that, you know what, maybe some of that was my fault. Maybe I'm the one that needs to change. He reveals some things to me. So when I pray in a bad situation, it changes my perspective. The second thing it says they did is they praised. It said they sang hymns. So they prayed. They got their perspective right. They look around. They're in the middle of a dungeon at midnight, right? They're chained up. They're beaten. They're bloody. They're naked. And they said, what what do we do next? Well, we got a good perspective on where we are. I bet God's got a plan Let's, let's praise him. Let's thank him. Let's be grateful that God put us in here. And I don't know what they were singing, but I imagine they probably made up some of their own songs. This is just my imagination. But I feel like they probably begin to sing, God, thank you for these chains. Thank you for these chains. Thank you for the people that beat us. Because you're opening up a door of opportunity here. We don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to do something. There's a reason you got us here. And I think they begin to praise God and they begin to thank him, even for the bad situation. And third... They found their purpose. When the chains fell off and the doors flew open and the jailer was about to commit suicide, what did they do? They ran to the jailer and immediately recognized, here's our purpose. This is why God sent us here. The jailer got saved. His entire family got saved and baptized. Nobody wants to die, right? Nobody wants that. But if I were to die today and someone were to preach my funeral, and one person gives their heart to Jesus Christ, my death was worth it. You're going to think, Gabriel, you're just being spiritual and you're just being a pastor. I'm telling you, I know where I'm going. I'm not worried about that. But not everybody knows that. Not everybody's confident in that. Not everybody has a relationship with Jesus. There's got to be a purpose behind every pain that we go through. And what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Ask God to reveal that to you. Ask God to show you that. Sometimes the purpose may not be someone getting saved. It may be just being a blessing to someone else. Sometimes the purpose may be God working on you and me. I think about this all the time. uh, I I had to meet with our finance team before I left to to go out of town. And and, and we were talking about, about the church finances and and, and we were talking about how right now our church finances are good. And, and part of the reason our church finances are good is because, um, because I've just operated and, and, and we as a team have operated the way we used to operate when the church was flat, broke, and didn't have nothing. And we just maintain that same frugal mindset of don't spend money, be careful, you know, just, just save and, and spend on what we need to spend on and, and don't worry about lots of raises and don't worry about a lot. Just be, just don't do anything. What happened? I went through a very hard time and it taught me some things about finances that now can be a blessing to our church. Now we have the money to be able to go on a mission trip. You know, there was years we didn't go on a mission trip because we didn't have the money to be able to pay for the project. Now we've got the money. How did that happen? Went through a bad time, learned a lot of stuff. God had a purpose for the bad time. And that's okay. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? We're going to pray, and then Lawrence is going to come back up and take up offering in just a few minutes. But before he comes back up, if, if I could get my prayer team guys to come down to the front, I want to give everybody a chance to pray. If you need prayer for anything today, 
we want to offer you that opportunity. And so um, there may be some of you today, you're going through some of this stuff. Maybe you're in the middle of the storm today and you're saying, Gabriel, I just need a perspective change. Like my perspective right now is sour. I'm really mad and upset about what's going on and I need to get my perspective right. Maybe today it's a, the attitude of praise and you're just saying, hey, I, I can't praise. Every time I come into church to praise or every time I turn on some worship music, I just, I just think about all the things that I'm going through and I can't quite break through and I just need God to help me. Maybe it's that purpose that we talked about today. Maybe you're trying to find that purpose. Or maybe, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today and you need to give your heart to him. You need to give him your life. And allow him to change you. And allow him to give you purpose. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning. God, I just pray for everybody in this room. And I just ask you.